Well, Jim, this week, let's cast on a brand new episode with Casting Circles and Casting On. Yay! Yay, That sounds awesome. Light from Lantern presents Knit a Spell. I'm magical maker, Katie Rempe. And I'm the maker of magic, James Devine. Join us as we stitch together the symbiotic relationship between crafting and the craft. I loved this idea of casting, casting a circle, casting on, because obviously knitters, crocheters, other crafters cast on projects. You are casting them quite literally as a spell. So I feel like this is a great co-topic. And obviously we should start with what the heck is circle casting? Right. And I think for the people who are not like knitters who are just listening, uh, yeah. what the hell is, is casting on? But we can get great to that. Great point. Yes. I remember when I was like, what's casting on? But it turns out that's the easiest thing to do in knitting, which thank goodness. Well, sometimes. <laughs> circle casting. I'll give you my definition of it and then check me with the one that you found online. Cool. When we cast a circle in our coven, our tradition, our witchcraft, we are creating sacred space. We're delineating using the power of our mind and our imagination to imagine that the space that we're creating, which was our living room, is now our living room, but altered slightly into magical or sacred space. It's a magical part of the house now. Yeah. What did I miss out of the definition that you found? It's temporary. Oh, yeah. It's temporary, but I think it leaves a little bit of a signature behind. We might cast a circle in a natural setting, in a grove of trees or on a beach. We might choose to cast a circle that encompasses the entire property. Mm -hmm. which is always an odd thing because the property lines in a city are normally squares or have angles on them that are not circular. But then we imagine that it's sort of like a lens. Big old fish eyes. Yeah, it makes it fish eye and makes it a circle. One thing I hear a lot about magic circles or circle casting is then releasing it at the end or at some point. But are all circles released at some point? Yeah, not always. So it depends on the magic that you're doing. Well, and we'll talk about this later. Not all rituals or magic needs a circle and not all circles need to be released. Now, of course, them fighting words. Yeah, that's right. If you ask three witches for their opinion, you'll get Mm. six opinions, seven, nine, seven, nine and 11 opinions. So, you know, your mileage may vary and what is really in alignment with your knowing and with your like feeling and with your tradition or with how you're trained, I highly recommend having training and learning from nature, learning from your body, learning from what's around you, from your experience, learning from your gnosis, which is your experience with the divine and learning from other elders that are trustworthy, trusted and experienced so that you have some coaching and that you don't always believe everything you think. And that you feel so that you have some critical feedback that you can grow against. Not everyone who's your lesson is your teacher. You should know that. However, it's really good to have people that can give you some loving feedback when needed. So anyway, with that said, there are times when we do not take down our circle in celebratory rituals. We sometimes allow the circle to dissipate naturally. And there's reasons we might do that rather than take the circle down. 
when you take the circle down, it can sometimes be like popping a bubble or like it can leave everyone sort of exhausted rather mm. than ramp down the energy slowly. And sometimes oh, that's preferred. The circle will slowly fade over time. Mm -hmm. uh, because no one's paying attention to it or there because it no longer. Yeah, there. that's mm -hmm. right. Yep. Okay. Well, it's cyclical like everything else. Imagine that being a circle. That's rather appropriate. Like a leaf slowly, you know, decaying in the field. Yeah. Why would someone want to cast a circle? I mean, other than the witch who thinks that every instance of magic must have circle. Um, why might you cast a circle? The number one reason why people think that they need to cast a circle to do their magic. Like if we played witch jeopardy, <laughs> we asked a hundred witches. Ooh. Why cast a circle? Oh, survey says protection. So Ooh. people mostly are afraid of the bugaboos and the scary psychic, you know, vampires and whatever yes. are going to come and suck the lifeblood out of you because, you know, you're in a magical, vulnerable state. That I think is very, very common. And so I don't want to discount that because I think that there are many traditions that don't teach energy work the way that our tradition teaches energy work. And so they probably need that type of protection. Mm. So continue doing what you're taught and what you know. There are other ways to do magic and there are other ways to do energy work that don't require a level of steel plated protection that you would have in those type of circles where you have like the protection of the broom and then the protection of salt and then the protection of the sword in a multi-ringed you know, protective magical circle. That fear-based approach I find very common. And in our tradition, we don't do that. What we do is we think about the circle as being a lens that focuses our magic. So here's the story that I tell. This story actually comes from my father, who is not a witch. He is a MacGyver. I don't know if people oh. know that. He's a rocket scientist. Oh, that's right. Yes. Right. Legitimately. <laughs> Legitimately. Yeah. He um, is the guy who is on the rocket launch, like with a wrench fixing the <laughs> rocket before it launches. Mad scientist mm. who can invent anything ah, to do anything. For the kids, he's like Rick of Rick and Morty, but That's without right. being like crazy. <laughs> he's the same and nerdy Rick, Rick of Rick and Morty. Yeah. Perfect. Very calm. Very like, hmm, let's just think about this. So I was talking to him one day and I'm like, I don't know if I believe in evil and I don't know what to do with that. And he says, yeah, you know, we ship this optical guidance system in a pressurized box with liquid nitrogen when we ship from manufacturing to the launch pad. <laughs> and I was like, oh, dad wasn't even listening because I was talking about, you know, good mm -hmm. and evil and how I'm struggling with this epistemological question. Right. He's talking about packaging materials. And he says, and you know, Jim, I think that's a lot like your life. If you pressurize your life with good, evil can't get in. Oh, damn, dad. Out of the mouths of mechanical engineers. Such a great analogy for so many things. My dad's pretty amazing. I got to meet him one day. The idea of a magical circle of being pressurized mm. with the four elements, with the deity, with your intent, with what you want. If there's a little break in it, a little hole in it, it's pressurized mm. such that what you don't want can't get in. Yes. When we think about it that way, that's a very empowered way 
to think about the magical space we've created rather than a disempowered way of thinking that, oh, my magic or what I'm creating here is so weak that anything can come in. And if we imagine the magical circle containing our desires and and pressurized with our intent and everything, our, our creativity and our magic, such that when we release it, it's like popping that balloon and mm-hmm. putting it out into the universe. Mm-hmm. Wow, that is a really cool image to have. I agree. And the fact that you can really imagine it in any sort of way, you know, it doesn't have to be a bubble. It doesn't have to have physical objects, even outlining the circle. Like you said, it can be completely visualized, which is really the point anyway. I think probably the physical tools are just helping you visualize, right? For people who maybe never thought about casting a circle, but are now curious after we've been talking about it for a little bit, how do you go about teaching newbies to cast circles? Or how do you perhaps advise that they begin to learn? So, Casting a circle is a very specific, one tiny little specific thing. Mm. Uh, It is not the thing to do or to start with. So the analogy would be, I'm going to teach you how to purl. Like you've never knit before. I'm going right into purl. (laughs) I'm going to teach you how to purl. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. Like you notice that it's not called purling. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Called knitting. Yeah. uh... Hmm. Right. So maybe the first thing you would teach someone, I don't know, what are these sticks <laughs> in this bag <laughs> and why are they connected with this wire? Oh, yeah. And the second thing you might teach them is like, what is this long fibrous thing that's wrapped in paper? And the third thing you try to teach them is how to put it onto one of those sticks that, oh, it's called a needle. Okay, thanks. <laughs> then... Yeah. You should probably teach them how to knit. You know what I mean? So maybe that's not the perfect analogy. It's like, you don't have to ever purl. How do we teach people to cast circles? We only teach people to cast circles who are learning from us as students. And we just expose them to our tradition over and over again. So as part of being in the class that we teach them, we're teaching them everything about our tradition and about witchcraft in general. And then they attend all the rituals and they see it happen. So they're immersed. Oh, I love a good practical learning situation. Yeah. And they don't learn how to actually do it for a couple of years because Mm. they only really learn how to cast a circle themselves when they first volunteer to want to lead a ritual. But by that time, they have heard the traditional circle casting at least 34 times. You could cast a circle with your eyes closed the same way that now, after so many years of knitting, I too could cast onto a needle and probably start knitting it without looking. <laughs> Can you really? Yes. So that's how we teach people to cast circles. But you don't need to cast circles to do magic. I was curious about this because I've heard a lot about circle casting lately. And much like you said, it always seems to be around like, protecting from the outside forces and very much like kind of the negative connotation of that. And I also don't really prescribe to a lot of that kind of stuff. So I was curious, like, what are the magical practices out there that don't involve this sort of a thing? And I found out that Norse and Kemetic or Egyptian practices, even some uh, shamanic and magical practitioner folk, they don't use that either. And they're just fine. So if you're doing American folk magic. A lot of times there's not a circle casting. I have been to voodoo ceremonies. I've been to other ceremonies that don't do circle casting. I've been to Celtic and Reconstructionist. I've been to Roman Reconstructionist ceremonies. 
that don't do a circle casting. And it's a little bit like, oh my gosh, we're doing this formal ritual, but there wasn't a circle casting. That doesn't mean they didn't create sacred space. It doesn't mean that they didn't anoint everyone as they came in or prepare the space beforehand in other ways. Circle casting is something that is ceremonial. It comes from the hermetic and esoteric traditions within the Western magical tradition and brought its way into modern Wiccan-ish, modern witchcraft, neo-paganism. It is not necessarily traditional. If you need to make the crops grow, you might do a little magic something and you just Mm -hmm. do that. So there you go. Uh, Cast your circle. Don't cast a circle. There's no wrong way to do it as long as you're comfortable with it. So that's like the biggest takeaway. Well, I want to talk about how can we find meaning in the craft aspect of casting on and casting circles. And there's all kinds of knitting stuff I don't even know about. I'm going to pepper you with questions at the second half. Woohoo! All right. We'll be right back. Have you ever wanted to be a professional palm reader or add palm reading to your existing practice? Coming this summer, I will be taking applications for my six-month online group apprenticeship program, the Divine Hand Mastership Program. I will have a limited number of individuals that will have the opportunity to study the Divine Hand Method of Palmistry with me. You can sign up to learn more about this exclusive opportunity at thedivinehand.com forward slash mastership. Exciting news, listeners. Knit a Spell is coming to Patreon this summer! Our fan club will help you gain access to advance notice to our monthly topics and guests, episode outtakes, voter power for future guests and episode topics, private community to connect with other fans, that's my favorite, exclusive giveaways and promotions and coming soon we will be adding a special segment to knit a spell which will be a q and a segment with your questions patreon members will be exclusively answered for their questions so we hope you'll join us join us and you'll be doing this all while supporting one of your favorite podcasts wrapped up in our gratitude to learn more sign up for our newsletter at knitaspell.com welcome back everyone So I want to know, Jim, when are some situations that you would cast a circle? When we're doing rituals, uh, a a group that is doing shared work. Let's say we want to do work for prosperity. We decide on doing a craft together. So we're going to all make sigils together and do that in a magical setting and put our intentions into it and then do that work within circle and then complete that work within circle, charge that within circle, and then release the circle to bring that energy into our actual lives. And I would cast a circle personally, if I was doing some sort of craft and wanted to charge that magic, like candle spell or Mm. the witch bottle that I made, or the, perhaps I'm, I knit or crocheted an item And I wanted to formally charge it for that person. I may cast a circle. I may call in deity. I may put energy of healing or love or protection or whatever the thing is. I may do that in a magic circle so that I had a focus for my intent and really put that in. How about you, Katie? Have you cast circles? I do a little. I have a nightly ritual that I'll do where I cast four circles, sort of like this circle nesting ideology that I heard recently. The circles are like uh, 
they're concentric. So what do I do? Or what I do is before I go to go to sleep, go to bed, um, is while I'm in the bed, I'll think about the first circle going around the bed. And that one is for clear dreams and information to come through that might be helpful in the dream. Second circle goes around the room and that uh, asks anything that might be there to flush it out. So basically I grow the second circle from the first one and I just imagine anything that's energetically there that's not there, just whoop, push right out, um, sort of like a plunger. So that's that one's job. Then the third one goes around uh, the entire story of the house, encompassing everyone else in the home to help them have clear dreams. And then the last one goes around the property. And that one helps um, because we have a lot of like, just people always trying to break into people's houses and whatnot. That one I put in for uh, sort of like an invisibility. <laughs> so basically, I imagine it as like a huge tree growing out from the center of the house that then like the branches kind of come over to where the sidewalk would go so that maybe someone going past just doesn't really notice. Or if there was someone with ill intent, they kind of would maybe go to the house across the street or next door. And just not not that I'm putting it on someone else, to be fair. Um, I'm just sort of, you know, just glazing it over. And then what I'm very mindful of doing is energizing them and powering them not with myself, but through the roots of this tree that I have imagined, which ground to the ground and also energy from the ground. But then also, like I said, because these branches and leaves go out to help us sort of canopy against people in the camo way, um, that also is energized by the breeze and everything. So it it's self-actualizing and doesn't require me to be there except for to remind it to kind of like just pulsate again every night. Yeah. Oh, I call that anchoring as opposed to grounding. It's a really excellent method to mm. have it. And then you can sleep well, knowing that you're protected, camouflage, safe. Yep. And really like if cool. somebody were to decide they wanted to come through, usually I will wake up or I'll hear something yep. that'll make me stir, um, even if nothing ends up happening. Yeah. So. One of the things that we didn't talk about, I think these are two really important points that I thought of as mm. you were speaking. A circle is not actually a circle. It's a sphere. Ah, yeah. Good point. If you've listened this far, you have now reached the secret. <laughs> you have earned, Ooh, we you've earned the real information. <laughs> when you cast a circle in air quotes, it is not actually a circle. It's a sphere. Don't imagine it as a circle around you like a wall or a fence. Right. It's a sphere. Mm -hmm. like a bubble or a balloon. It goes underneath you and it goes above you. It's a sphere, like mm -hmm. Linda the Good Witch's bubble or something. Katie, what direction are you casting your circles? Have you thought about that? <gasps> oh, your surprise eyes. Oh no, I never even thought about it. <laughs> I know, right? Okay, good, yeah. So this I is should some, have though. This I wonder is a what direction topic. I've been looking at the whole time. This is a whole topic that we didn't even talk about that should be a subhead under circle casting. Where do you start your circle? And which direction do you go? Do you start going to the right or you start going to the left? Oh, this is a whole conversation with witches. Oh. So if you're going to take your thame or your broom or your wand or your sword or whatever, and you have a whole group of people and you're going to walk around the perimeter of the circle and you're going to say some incantation, which way do you go and where do you begin? 
Depends on what you're trying to do. And depends on your tradition. It depends is the right answer. (laughs) Some people start in the East. A lot of people go diocil or clockwise, which means they get to the point where they begin. Either they start in the North or they start in the East. They have reasons to start if they're Mm. directional, if they're starting in a direction. And a lot of people associate directions with an element. So they'll associate East with the air, or Mm. some people have other associations and they will start potentially in the East or or the North starts with earth or wherever. And then they will go clockwise because clockwise is invoking or is uh, seen as potentially positive or good. Mm. And they will go clockwise around the circle and end in the East. And each one of the circle casts is done this way and creates this sphere of magical space. And if they go counterclockwise, then it's a malevolent casting for like manipulative or malevolent purposes. In some traditions, that would be appropriate if you're going to do that type of magic. I see it more as like a making, releasing. In my tradition, our first circle, we freak all the witches out. (laughs) Our first circle cast is counterclockwise. And when we go to, do, and when we do a demonstration ritual at a public thing, we do our first circle counterclockwise and everyone's like, <gasps> because we're acknowledging the chaos of the universe and we're cutting our circle out of time and space. At the end of the ritual, some people will close the circle. So they'll open up the circle, they'll release the circle and they do it counterclockwise. So after the ritual and they'll undo the circle that they just did. That's how many traditions do it. And if you were taught that way, do it that way. In our tradition, we go clockwise at the end to release the circle because we want to ground our magic in reality because we're creating we think of going counterclockwise as releasing or undoing the magic totally in our tradition when we see people go counterclockwise at the end we're like they're undoing their magic (laughs) but for us we're like grounding it into tangible reality when we go but that's just our method so there's all kinds of conversation and arguments and philosophical conversations to be had over many cups of coffee or wine or whiskey, (laughs) or hopefully not fistfights, but cool conversations about why you cast and the way you cast and the directions you cast and what, how they work. Gosh, I know you never thought about it. Did you? No. No. All you're thinking about is your yarn. I'm just. Ah, Well, but it's funny because I am thinking about yarn. (laughs) Let's move to yarn. Do you cast on the right needle or the left needle? It doesn't matter if you're knitting in the in the round. Is just whether you're left or right-handed. Does it make a difference? Can I tell if my sweater is a DSL (laughs) or Witterson sweater? So kind of maybe. I was thinking if you are knitting in a circle, you're making the project. If you're undoing the project that is going the opposite direction literally undoing it so i feel like that really resonates for me it's interesting that because more people are traditionally right-handed it's more popular for even lefties to be taught to knit right-handed i know all the lefties in the world know that it's a right-handed world are you a lefty i am not but i have known several knitters who were lefties uh, one of which who knit as a righty and just got used to it over time, and one of which who was not having that and decided <laughs> to knit true lefty, which, yeah, girl, until you realize that the patterns are written only 
willing to go one direction, which doesn't matter with some things, except for if you're doing like cables that twist in certain directions or a pattern, stitch pattern that goes in a certain direction, yeah. color work, etc. So yeah. you're either going to have to spend a lot of time flipping the directions and knowing to flip the directions, um, or you're going to have to just deal with it being backwards. <laughs> yeah, that lefty doesn't know why her number 12 sweater is reversed. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> and I never thought about like, oh, well, if you cast it on, you'd usually cast on to the right hand needle and then, or no, left hand needle, and then knit using the right hand needle off of that. So yeah. again, it's kind of like, oh, the left is like the passive hand. And then the right hand is the one doing all the work, which kind of. Yeah. Makes sense. And I love how in the instruction videos, it's your active needle. Yes. And I'm like, girl, the you know that's your right hand needle. You're yeah. just being PC, but there is no one who's teaching or on earth who is actually using their left as their active needle. Ooh, very, very rare. Yeah. That's of, a great market for someone. <laughs> nothing's written that way. Yes, exactly. In regards to knitting, I think it's interesting to reflect on circle casting there, right? Because you literally can cast on a circle, whether it's to circular needles, which is just the two needles with a cord in the middle that lets you knit in a circle, or which I find even more interesting, knitting with double pointed needles, also to knit in the round in a circle, but you use, well, four needles to house the stitches, and then a fifth as the working needle. <laughs> um, to be so held in your right hand. <clears throat> just kidding yeah not really but then i thought oh well if you were a magical person wouldn't this be a great opportunity to think like okay what's the intent behind this project is this an opportunity for me to call the elements like is each one of these going to represent one or a direction or you know just the intent behind that when you cast on when when you knit in the round with needles mm -hmm. how many needles do you see people typically use? It depends on the size of the tube you're trying to make, correct? So if people are using double pointed needles, typically they're going to be making a smaller project. Otherwise, so like three of them to make to a, a sock. It's usually four. It's interesting to think about your casting on could be an actual circle cast magically. Definitely. Like how cool could that be? Would that be to say, I cast the circle with fiber and wood that this knitting shall contain my intent, whether I remember it or not, whether my intent is here and I'm conscious of it or not, you could create a chant for yourself all while you're casting on. Mm -hmm. Then like if you anoint or somehow bring in the four elements and deity, perhaps the ancestors, perhaps your, you know, knitting ancestors or your actual ancestors, or perhaps the person that you're giving it to and their mm -hmm. ancestors to guide you. What a cool way to begin a project and to have that intent at the casting on phase yes. to sort of mirror how you might do that in a magical circle. And That's just as powerfully cool. is the binding off or quote releasing of the project, you know, your work with it is done. Now it is going to serve its magical purpose, which is to keep somebody warm and comfortable or fashionable or whatever. When we release a circle, this is where we give honor and thanks to the elements. We mm -hmm. thank the earth, 
the air, the fire, the water, the deity, the ancestors. We thank the wood and the fiber, the labor, everything that went into it. And as we're binding off and releasing the circle. So in magic circles, I don't mean to speak for the craft part. What I mean to say is in magical circles, what we say is we acknowledge the the four elements, earth, air, fire, water. Perhaps we do that directionally, perhaps not. We acknowledge, acknowledge and thank deity, however we see that. Perhaps it's goddess God. In our tradition, they're non-gendered or they don't have to be gendered. With us, we thank the ancestors and the spirits of place and the fae. We honor and thank and, and give appreciation for all those that are present. And then we release the circle with a traditional saying and chant. And so you see that as the binding off. Yes, exactly. It's interesting that um, typically four needles would be used with a fifth working needle. It's very like, like you said, the four elements, but then also spirit, right? Because we're the ones manipulating the needles. We are the working needle. <laughs> so well, we I, often cast a circle magically with a wand. Exactly. Or a knife or a sword or a broom or something. Although you could use your finger. It's fine. You can knit with your fingers too. Well, this has been fun. What if we do a card pull to wrap us up? Oh. I'm obsessed with this tarot disassembled. Can we please use this? In July, we are going to be reviewing all sorts of decks. So it's going to be a deck month because it's the summer and you need to be out on a deck. And one of which is the author of Tarot Disassembled, as you're seeing here, who is Jennifer Kidley. All right. So for this week... The question is, what will help us gain further insight into circle casting this week? Oop, it's that one. The moon. So just take a moment and look at this card. You see the lobster emerging from the water. Mm-hmm. There at the bottom, it's much more clear than on the Rider Waite Smith deck that it's a wolf and a dog. Mm-hmm. There's the moon up in the far upper left. What looks like a snake is actually a path. And then down in the lower right of the moon are two towers. And then in the upper right is that Hebrew letter Shin. What is your interpretation of the moon? I mean, it's a big circle. I mean, I hate to be so literal about it, but it's the moon is intuition. The moon is unseen things. And I think the moon also offers a lot of uh, energetic protections that you can use when circle casting. What do you think? What will help us gain further insight into circle casting this week? The lobster is on a path. You being that lobster, that crayfish, that potentially vulnerable creature, but you have claws and armor. You must travel a path between two predators, a wolf and a dog. And the path is a path of initiation when we see the two towers. And it is the path of your of believing your intuition, following that path to the Things unknown, exactly what Katie is saying, Mm. and trusting yourself and of the water that you're emerging from to the insights that you're going to into the light. Remember, the moon is reflected light. And so it's the reflections within. Love it. And this blue color of the card, I feel like it's the moon card is sometimes seen as like a little bit, uh, you know, because of the uncertain qualities. But I feel like the blue color of it allows you to be like, just trust it and go with the flow. Like it's tranquil. It's okay. Yesterday was the first quarter of the moon on June 7th. Mm. And next Tuesday 
is the full moon. We're just over halfway. You should look up in the moon tonight and start to see the barely waxing gibbous moon Mm -hmm. and know that next Wednesday, we're just past the full moon. So you just have a few more days before the moon is full. And so that's something to also think about. I love keeping track of what is the moon phase now and what are we doing? So it's a good reminder. We clearly could have talked about like many little offshoots. <laughs> we'll probably have to come back around it again at some yeah. point. Well, until next week, Jim, I appreciate your time as always. And I look forward to it. Awesome. See you then. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for, Thanks listening. for listening. If you enjoyed the show, consider sharing it with a friend, leaving a review on iTunes and Spotify, or following Knit a Spell on Instagram. You can also subscribe to the Light from Lantern YouTube channel to enjoy full episodes of Knit a Spell and see our happy faces. You can also learn more about readings, classes, and events going on with your favorite maker of magic, James Divine, by visiting thedivinehand.com and subscribing to his newsletter. Then follow Jim's fun and interactive Instagram account at Divine Hand Jim. Keep up with Katie, the magical maker, by subscribing to her newsletter at lightfromlantern.com. You'll even receive a free knitting pattern as a thank you gift. Then follow Katie on Instagram at lightfromlantern for even more magical making tips. See you See next, next week. week.